The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with death. Welcome back to the Ruthless Friday program. What you heard up top, uh, if you're an audio-only listener, was the NFL films overlaid with a nun tackling a climate protester. It and, is a great-looking great looking film. And it was a great-looking tackle. Yeah, form tackle. It really great was. form. Drove with her legs. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. She got she got him sideways and then drove with the legs into the pit. Knocked him off his feet. And yeah. she, she was six inches shorter than that guy. Yeah. A grown man, and she took him down. <laughs> he was stealing her stuff, by the way. I don't know if you guys followed any of the context. No, I don't know that. anything about She's it. She's trying to build a church, and these lunatics show up and steal all of the supplies of her church in the name of climate change. And then they stomp on these plastic tubes to drive plastic shards into the environment. What? And these, in the name of climate change. And she took him to task. I mean, she's a hero if I've ever said, seen it, one. God, Wait, what, God is on the this? side. Do you know where this was? I think it was in Europe. Yeah, she looked like an Irish woman. She didn't take shit. She looked like an Irish woman to me. I'm just saying. God is on the side of fossil fuels. This is like, yet again, proof of this. God provided us with this abundant resource. There's a cult of these lunatics who do this kind of stuff. There was some uh, award show or something recently that they also disrupted, showed up and like spray painted the screens and everything. People start booing. It's like when you do stuff like this, what do you think is going to be the response? Like and, and standing in traffic and stuff. It's like you're doing everything possible to make people hate you. Look, like you're attacking nuns and sitting in traffic. Like, I, I, these are I, the worst things I, you can I, do. I agree with you on fossil fuels, but she's building a church. She's not building an oil refinery. <laughs> in some wetland she's literally trying to build a, a a structure to serve poor people and give everybody else hope and they're stomping on no. her supply exactly it's, it's incredible yeah it's really it really is amazing but I, you know what i i'll i think i speak for all of us when i say we've had it yeah we've had it yeah we've seen the reaction of these honestly the, there's a mental health crisis that's happening yes there's a mental health crisis that's happening. I mean, if you can be vaguely aware of the events of the last 10 days and you think that there's two sorts sides of the story with the Hamas-Israel thing, like, there's a mental health crisis there. When you mm -hmm. see, like, on these campuses of these kids running amok. Yeah. Because it is... I mean, it's literally nuts at this point. It's we, incredible. What we have to confront is that it's not about Israel... It's not about the church. It's not about climate change. These people are just anti-civilization. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, they want, and they've said as much, basically. Yeah. They don't want any progress. They don't want any sort of, like, existence. Right. Essentially. Yeah. I mean- <laughs> I don't know what they what they want. I guess they just want us in the dark, well, killing each other in caves. Like, they, want, they, don't want, they don't want civilization. There like, are people like this. Did yeah. you see uh, that story from Harvard of, of those kids who signed on to that letter? Yeah. Supporting Hamas. Now are saying that, like- 
we want to be given money for uh, <laughs> mental health care because so many people have been outraged. At. Well, they're going to need There's some... a generation. This, this is at Harvard. There's a generation of these people with, like you said, mental health problems. Yeah. And I mean, that's they, they have is. a direct pipeline. The reason our administration is so terrible is they've had a direct pipeline of these like Ivy League fail sons. Now you're going to get Ivy League fail sons with severe mental health problems. That's oh, where we're headed. God, it's just so bad. It's just so bad. Um, well, listen, we got a big show for you today with a lot of news, obviously. This week has been chock full of news, uh, some really important stuff and some stuff to laugh about. Yeah. So we're going to have a good time here on the show. We're going to play a game. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and play a game today, too. Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just delivering, huh? Just delivering. But we're going to go back to our standard fare and start Thursday's episodes the way we always do with our five stars. Millions of Americans earn and use credit card rewards. A few big box retailers want to take those rewards away, rewards we use on groceries and school supplies, the cash back to save on gas and grow our small businesses, and travel miles we use to make memories. The so-called Credit Card Competition Act would eliminate credit card rewards. No more travel miles, no more cash back. When lawmakers help mega retailers line their pockets, we pay for it. Tell your lawmaker to vote no on the big box bill. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com to take action today. So the first one comes from Alex from North Carolina. And Alex writes that this program is the best place to catch up on politics. Alex writes, as a devoted listener since episode one, I've become something of a ruthless fanatic. However, I've never appreciated the program more than I do today. After spending the last week in the hospital with my wife, as we welcomed our first child into the world, oh, behind congrats. on the recent political happenings, I needed to look no further than the variety program to catch myself up. Combination of humor and down to earth discussion makes Ruthless the perfect way to fill the newfound time that comes with a newborn sleep schedule or lack thereof. We can all relate to that, or at mm -hmm. least Smug someday. Smug, someday Smug will relate to that. <laughs> Keep up the good work, fellas. And you best believe that our little one will continue to be the newest minion. Oh, also, Duncan needs to press the internet button and get us a Ruthless oh. onesie. Oh. Well, you know, we for, did that once before. We right? we, we had a a onesie a previous offering. Yeah, in in the old store, we should get Drew on creating a new onesie. I think that's a a great idea. And congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. And, and and look, you're uh, it, it doesn't just end with the newborn stage. Just this morning, uh, uh, Joey came into our our room at like four four in the morning and like got between me and my wife, and he was doing that thing where like. You know, sometimes you know with kids like they'll like sleep right next to you and they give off heat like they're a hot water oh, yeah. bottle <laughs> yes. yeah it's a human eater yeah, you know i and, know exactly what you're talking and about and his feet he's sort of pressing into your back like he's making biscuits on you like a cat <laughs> <laughs> and so i just got up just straight got up i just straight got up at four went downstairs I, I listened to some podcasts. I did about an hour and a half straight. Seriously, this is this morning. Uh, just listening to old Blink-182. Oh, wow. Listen yeah. to that. Yeah. You, so you got yourself hyped up right in the morning. I did. Huh? What, yeah. I did. What's my age again? Um, is that them? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that, that, that is them. 
uh it, it's just fantastic stuff and it also like you remember like every movie from like the late 90s uh-huh. early 2000s uh-huh. the intro like establishing shot blink 182 in the back 100% 100% yep. but uh so you got a lot of that in your future <laughs> so it's not all it's not all bad no it's not all bad uh let's go to our second one uh dunks you've got this one uh yeah this is from mc swimmer title is the best program out there mc swimmer writes gentlemen i found this podcast through none other than the great megan kelly and never looked back love the show as it makes me feel more and more informed and engaged in the going-ons of our political landscape your interviews and exposure to high-ranking officials is just wonderful and i'm appreciative of all perspectives this show brings to light as a dc native i was disappointed to miss the dc show on the 27th Mm -hmm. I caught a flight out to Colorado to do some mountain climbing the same day. I'm a Good big I'm a big hiker and try to challenge myself. I did the Maryland Challenge about a year ago, which is where you hike the entire portion of the Maryland section of the Appalachian Trail. That's not 41 That's like the miles. Appalachian Trail. That's like the Mark Sanford thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's <laughs> I think it starts down there in Georgia. If I'm, I, I'm not 100 percent right. sure. Yeah, yeah. right. Wasn't Georgia that the up thing? It was like uh, he when he his... went missing with his mistress. That the uh, spokesperson was like, "Oh, he's hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. We can't get it. We can't." Uh, but I yeah. think he, I think he was in Brazil. Yeah, he was in South America. So it turns out he wasn't on the Appalachian yeah. Trail. Yeah. Okay. Uh, goes on to say here, I'm climbing the highest peak in Colorado, Mount Elbert. Um, all I could think about the whole time was the following. What drives me to continue pushing to complete these physically and mentally challenging hikes? The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Oh, awesome. man. Yes. That's as, awesome. As you can see, your show was top of mind. Definitely made this. an impact. And just to add, it's almost certainly the thrill of victory. So mm. I, let me just stop you there. You can read the rest in a second. What you're talking about with somebody who goes out and drives to to hike mountains and to do things where nobody's watching is almost exclusively a thrill of victory personality mm-hmm. yeah it, it that's it mm-hmm. right i mean you just want to prove to yourself that you can do something and like we say it's basically a 50 50 split split mm-hmm. in the people that we've had on but this is a telltale sign telltale a- absolutely because what you're trying to accomplish there is an end goal where you stand at the top you eat a cliff bar and you look at the view and you say i did it yeah and, then and you, you did it for you it's a thrill of victory you did it for you yeah 100 percent agree uh he goes on to write i'll be looking out for the next live show and subsequently canceling all planned trips keep making great content your show has quickly become my favorite podcast oh look it's so awesome thank you man that's really really nice that's great stuff we love hearing it all right, Smuggy, you got the last one. This is Elena from Missouri. The title is Pivoting On and Off the Program. It says, hands down, my favorite podcast. I've noticed lately that within the lineup of conservative podcasts I listen to, you all have the true everyman's take on the primary race and candidates. Yeah, that's that's nice. what we aim for. That's what we do. I look forward to getting ready for work each Tuesday and Thursday since it means I'll get to hear the takes of the fellas. I've got my family hooked on the pod as well. Thanks so much for that. And now we have a group text titled Ruthless to discuss our favorite moments and hottest takes from the show. Luckily, I won't have to uh, use the Thanksgiving episode strategies against them this November. (laughs) Yeah, no, it sounds like you got all locked in. It's odd there. I've now created some pivot real-life moments. 
Although the game has only been played once on the show, I loved it and have started thinking about how I can use pivots in my own life as a game when I want to change the direction of we conversation. Need to start, we need to yep. do more of these. Yeah. 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 It's, a, we it's a cool game. It, yep. it, these are the kind of things that we come up with when we have down moments and we haven't had a lot lately. Hmm. Uh, but we need to get. We need to make a more of an effort. Yeah. To get back to do it because those games were awesome. Yeah. If you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about, we we road tested a couple of games randomly. Um, I think Sm- Smug was out out for them, but we one of them I came up called- with these games and I was like, God, <laughs> that's what you can do. But it's called Hard Pivot. We need to play it again. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. You get you get uh, a topic, two topics, and you have to try to pivot between one and two. As if you're a politician. As if honest, you're a politician uh, and make them both make sense. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult. She continues, says, uh, this week at work, I challenged a coworker to make his safety message delivered to our department during staff meeting. A pivot challenge from presenting on step and ladder safety to a Dr. Pepper talk. <laughs> Perfect. He <laughs> somehow exactly took right. the challenge Got and executed perfectly with photoshopped articles, visuals, and all. <laughs> there was no way I was keeping a straight face during that one. Thanks for all the content and entertainment, fellas. Keep the faith. Hold the line. Own the libs. Pivot. I love it. God, love that's it. great. I love when people get something out of those games too. It's not just about you know being entertained. You also take a little bit with you. It's a brain. It's a brain teaser. It's a brain teaser. Yeah. It's a brain. All right. So you're going to love this episode. We've got uh, Senator Tim Scott. Yeah. At long last. Oh, he, he actually showed up? Presidential. Well, you didn't. You show didn't up. show up for the interview. I had a call. Up. I had. To, I, I always take care of work first. <laughs> and here's the thing is, I didn't know if this was going to be like a he situation where he didn't show up. So I didn't. I don't know, but okay, he showed up. Let's uh, not attack the guy. This, he, listen. He had the courage to do the right thing. He showed up. And you, <laughs> he, honestly, Seriously. I don't care what you think of Tim Scott. The interview is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And, and and we asked, I think, very direct and pointed questions about where he sees this Republican primary heading. And he is very specific with the expectations of others and himself. And you're not going to want to miss it. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss it. it. You know, when we started doing the 60-day thing, uh, we may have been too quick with the 60-day thing because we wanted to give people some opportunity. We didn't want to interview them right after they announced because then you get the talking points of why they're running or whatever else, and you don't get a lot of like perspective mm-hmm. on where the campaign is going. Mm-hmm. I actually found this thing more valuable than a lot of them because you've seen where it's gone. Because with the value of retrospect of where we've been so far in this primary... Yeah, I guess I agree with you. No. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say we should have changed the rule, but no, the rule was right. It's and they interesting. Were wrong, they were wrong to break it, but and we we addressed it at the top of the interview, yeah. which we will hear. But I will say it did provide some added content that I think we benefited from. You guys as listeners are definitely going to benefit from, and honestly, I think Tim Scott benefits from too because he has a chance to address some things. Yeah, mm-hmm. that are just sort of lingering mainstream media filters mm-hmm. that frankly, are not helpful to him. And he's able to speak to him directly. Yeah. And so, And I have heard about this interview. This is going to make some news. It is. Y'all ask There's a lot of news. Great questions. There's a lot of news in here. Um, so we're going to go back to what we've been doing for several weeks. We took a, a couple weeks sort of off and on because of all the things going on. But we need to get back to our Who Won the Week stuff on Thursdays. And... The way we wanted to frame this in some ways was to just talk through the fundraising reports. Mm-hmm. 
And then we'll get to whoever's picks there are. Mm -hmm. But I think there's some good analysis here. The Washington Post has got uh, something here that kind of runs through all of it. Trump swamps rivals with huge cash haul while DeSantis fundraising slows. Now, this amuses me greatly in how they frame this because Mm -hmm. it's like exactly the way the Washington Post wants to do it. Now, it's very true that Trump's fundraising was significantly better than the rest of the field but like (laughs) the idea that it's like a trump desantis story here just misses Mm -hmm. the mark Mm -hmm. in in my view Mm -hmm. and i don't think that desantis did poorly at all but with less than 100 days before the caucuses uh 2024 presidential candidates were required to file the third quarter fundraising reports by midnight on sunday former president donald trump reported a huge cash advantage over his Republican rivals at the end of September, a haul bolstered by his pleas to donors to aid his effort as he set uh, to face multiple legal trials this year. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis fundraising slowed this quarter, he says, as he retooled his campaign to focus more on Iowa and, uh, and then Senator Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy in North Dakota uh, Governor Doug Burgum and Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson spent more than they raised this quarter. Um, You got to go several paragraphs down to what I think is sort of the story here is that the fact is you've got two candidates that sort of distinguish themselves beyond Trump. Trump distinguished himself, no question Mm -hmm. about it. Uh, But beyond him, like DeSantis had a, a much better burn rate than we saw in the second quarter. Uh, he raised a significant amount of money, spent a lot less. And then Nikki Haley raised a lot more than was anticipated. And is sort of in that same category mm-hmm. as Ron DeSantis. And she's been spending basically what she's been spending, which is a sort of a lean machine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in terms of primary dollars, probably has more than anybody else not named Donald Trump. Well, I think if you talk to anybody who works in Republican small dollar digital fundraising, the fact that Ron DeSantis raised less money July through September would not be a, sh- a shock. Yeah. You know, like you're going to get a big bump at announcement in, in Q2 there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, August is the hardest month to raise small dollars online because people are busy, mm-hmm. right? Like August is typically the month that, you know, people take that family vacation before they got to get back for, you know, the first day of school and stuff like that. And people sort of check out. And so um, you always see a dip in the month of August that impacts your your Q3 small dollar numbers. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. Nikki's rise is also not surprising given her performance in the debates. And she's been incredibly sharp with her message. And, you know, particularly on, on you know, the contrasting against Donald Trump and some of the other candidates and the, the stuff on Vivek and everything. The performance has been great. Yeah. You know, so I'm not surprised to see her you know, her rise here in, in, in fundraising. The one caveat I would give on the, on, on the framing of this article, and you sort of alluded at the top Holmes, and I've mentioned this previously on the show and listeners directly to you, this sort of thing is the reason why you listen to us Mm. and why I, I think our, our voice is hopefully important in the conservative movement writ large, because we've done this job. So we know how this stuff works. And we mentioned it in the last quarter. And that is, Donald Trump has like three entities, right? So when you look at a fundraising report from Donald Trump for president, 
you got to understand that like he has costs associated to his campaign that are not reflected in this report that you don't really have a good sense of his real 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 net net cash flow Mm -hmm. his real real number of fundraising because a lot of the costs are disparate across other entities the jfc you know joint fundraising committee and maggot inc which is doing a lot of the advertising so that his burn rate doesn't necessarily reflect the overall cost of his campaign Mm -hmm. yeah and save america and everything right yeah no that's true it's true the other thing that i'll just point out is the framing of all of this right the way that they framed first of all at the top that it was like desantis fundraising slows Mm -hmm. like yeah kind of i mean still second right right I mean, and he still has like a hundred million dollar super PAC. Yeah, and then, and, and then and then they also say this is my favorite. They also bring to the top in all of these articles. This is what he paid for private planes. Okay, well let me just break that down for a minute. If you have a presidential candidate, there are two things you want your money for. One is your external voter contact. That means all the television, radio, internet, digital ads. Uh, and your door-to-door ground operations. Mm -hmm. Number two, the candidate's time. The candidate's time. And the candidate's time is actually more precious in a presidential election than it is in a Senate election or congressional election or governor election, in large part because you start in Iowa and New Hampshire where you're dealing with a very significant retail voting block. Mm -hmm. They want to see these people. Mm -hmm. They want to talk to them. They've done this a time or two. And they are not going to be sort of shined on by a bunch of television ads. Right. They want to talk to these people, look them in the eye, and understand what it is that they stand and for. And you can't, especially in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, you can't just send a surrogate to warm up the crowd and mm-hmm. think like you've done the job. Mm-hmm. The candidate has to be there. Mm-hmm. The candidate has to be at the fundraisers, too. Like, it is the opportunity cost of a candidate's time it, it, it's just it's worth so much more on a presidential than a lot of other situations. They frame this thing. The media frame this thing around what they pl- paid for private planes, which, frankly, I was like stunned that it was as little as it actually was. It was like, what, one point two million or something like that, which sounds like a ton of money. Like, I, I, I get that people would look at that and be like, holy shit, that's a ton of money. It's a it's it, a ton it of is money a ton of money flying to Florida and back. But right. When you're doing it. 37 times right. a month. Yeah. And he, the guy, he doesn't doesn't own his own plane. Right. right. He's, He's not Donald Trump. on the side. He doesn't right. own his own plane. But, but the p- importance is that you have a candidate that can get to all of these various places. And the only way to do that in the modern day is to try to do it through private air travel where you can. Now, if you get an easy direct flight, you'll take it. And right. And I imagine that they've done the same thing, too. Like, if a guy's flying, you know, out of Miami to D.C., you're... Like, that's an easy flight. I'm sure they took that. But if you're going from Dubuque to... Exactly. To somewhere Manchester, in Manchester, yeah. New Hampshire, like, you're going to connect four times. Right. Do you want to spend... You want your candidate to spend 15 hours in commute? Or do you want an hour and a half and to spend 10 hours with voters? And okay. smug if it's Southwest, the indignity. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I mean, I think one thing that Holmes brings up is a really important point where... You know, a lot of times when folks look at FECs, they're used to seeing like congressional races or even Senate races, which are statewide. 
Which is different because a presidential candidate is running for the entire country. The entire right. country. Coast to coast. Orange County, California, and the next day he's got to be in Manhattan. Yeah. So, you know, and it's like you got to figure out how to balance all those things. And especially, like you said, when you're going to these towns in Iowa and New Hampshire, and they expect, they fully expect to see the candidate. You, you, you know, like you said, find me, find me a flight from Dubuque to Manchester direct. I, I bet there isn't one that exists. You'd have to go through like 19 airports. I think the point that they're trying to drive, and I'm sure the Trump campaign and every other campaign is trying to drive on DeSantis. They want to try to brand him as some kind of a dandy. Mm-hmm. Listen, just, you can say a me. lot about Ron DeSantis, and you can have opinions all over the map about all sorts of things. Having spent a little time with him, and a little time with Casey, understanding what he's done in Florida, knowing his staff fairly well, this is not a dandy. Yeah, right. This guy is not a dandy. This guy does the work in a way that not a lot of people... There's a reason he is a front runner here. Mm-hmm. It's not because he's basically mailed it in mm-hmm. and expects to go, you know, sort of be the bell of the ball everywhere he goes. It's just yeah. not... That's not him. Like, our IO event's a perfect example where essentially all that he needed was a, a, a table for him and his wife... To have some beers with like a bunch That's of like right. local reps. Yeah. Dude, it wasn't like dude I, just sat I need in the you booth. guys to make sure yeah. they have like a green room or something. They, like, asked for nothing. they asked for nothing. They asked for nothing. They asked for nothing. Literally just sat in the booth with a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and like you if know, he can get back to that image and present that image. Well, it's not. It's not up to him. Like this is the media filter that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. That's what he's doing. Yeah. The problem is, is you get an article like this, and it's like, well, the guy spends millions of dollars on private planes. He's a real dandy again that's why you have to show up to our live events so yeah you can actually see what these candidates are like meet them that's where you see them meet them and talk talk about them so anyway th- that's the overview of it there's a whole bunch of other stuff you know tim scott who we're talking about today and his ally committees have been amongst the biggest spenders in the race so far which i thought was interesting we asked him about and i'm going to let that answer stand for mm-hmm. itself because i think he contextualized that in a way that analysis probably doesn't um pence uh, it's been tough, right? He's got to try to figure out how to qualify for this next debate, which they keep raising the thresholds for the amount of donors and things that you need to do. And, and like they're working on it, but it's it's uh, it's been a slog. Um, so we're kind of getting to the point where this field is culling mm. a little bit. And we talked to Tim about this a little bit too, and you guys are going to have to hear about that because he's got definitive views on what ha- needs to happen mm-hmm. in order to have uh, what he views as an effective Republican primary. But with all that being said, and we kind of go over the, you know, the fifty thousand foot look, Ashbrook, who's your winner? So last week I had Trump uh, is the definitive winner. And, I, I and heard usually- you caught a little bit of shit for that too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, people, people on Twitter were some of the menus. Mad were not you got, I said that. Joe Biden. You got more shit. I did, <laughs> <laughs> which I, which I love for the record. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought he won last week, and, and you know, a lot of times I wrestle with with who to choose. This week I was unconflicted. There's one guy who stands out among the rest, and that's Tim Scott. Tim Scott won this week, hands. Down. This is a guy who's drawing a contrast with the leader of the Republican primary, Donald Trump, on a key issue, Israel. He took Trump to task 
over some comments on Netanyahu and some comments on Hezbollah. Tim Scott has over $13 million still in the bank, and he just announced a full tour of Iowa that's coming up. He came here to the Ruthless Variety program, asked, uh, answered every question we asked, and I think he is the clear winner of the week. Very good. Uh, Michael? Um, well. Uh, it seems like you're wrestling. No, I just want to countervail my friend now. Uh, it, oh, it's it's going to be Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the winner of the week, and largely for the a lot of the same reasons that uh, Ashbrook outlined. I think, I think the reason why it's DeSantis is because a lot of people can talk. A lot of people can, you know, um, contrast themselves with with Donald Trump. But like the, I think the value proposition of Ron DeSantis's campaign, and it's not, you know, it's it it, it hasn't yet proven out with voters is that this is the guy that actually just does the thing it makes it happen and he's done that with israel and not just statements right you know there's uh the, the air desantis flights getting people out of israel this is a guy who as a chief executive has an opportunity that a senator like tim scott doesn't or nikki haley former ambassador he currently has an office in a bully pulpit that he can use to show the conservative movement that he can accomplish the things that they want. Mm. And I think for that reason and that reason alone, winner of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Smug. So I have a very interesting pick and I think for a very interesting reason, I think Donald Trump won the week and this isn't because of any specific fundraising numbers or any statement that he made. But the reason is, a lot of the focus in the news has been the failures of the Biden administration during this crisis, where their foreign policies and their coddling of Iran is front and center. Right now, we're seeing the ramifications of their failed foreign policies. You know, the other night we saw literally around the world riots happening outside of U.S. embassies, carnage under his watch, his entire foreign policy platform, everything that he had promised the American people that the adults are back in charge, I'm going to bring America back to the forefront in tatters as we are seeing the results of his foreign policy. And as a result of that, in voters' minds, the first place it goes is, how did it used to be? Yeah. And then they remember under the Trump presidency, it was like the polar opposite. You had the Abraham Accords. You had whenever Iran acted up, Trump, in a, in a wink, turned Soleimani into salsa and all the press. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this is going to start World War III. No. No. Did not. That that foreign policy of Donald Trump was such a success. And folks are remembering that right now, given the failures of Biden. And because he's granted that nice, I've said it many times, that you know a lot of the problem for these candidates running against him is going to be, as Americans are seeing the chaos of living under the Biden administration, they're going to look back and be like, I remember things being so great just a few years ago. That's going to be very difficult for other candidates to overcome. And for that reason, I say Donald Trump. I, the week. I, I, I agree. I agree with you in that voters definitely remember the Trump years and in particular foreign policy. And they say, I want that back. I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. My my fear always with Donald Trump is that he always finds a way to step on a rake mm. when well, he has he did, not as he did with the Netanyahu, and that's my point yeah. is like 
here's a perfect opportunity to talk about how you're the strongest ally that Israel's ever had behind the Resolute desk, that you moved the embassy to Jerusalem, and that you brought peace to the Middle East through the Abrams or the Abraham Accords. And instead, he uses it as an opportunity to like restart a grievance with Netanyahu because Netanyahu congratulated Joe Biden for winning an election. Yeah. And it looks like such fucking small ball. And it's a hesitate. It's the reason why half the party isn't on board with him right now, dude, is like people have this hesitation that the guy can't take a win. He just can't take a win. Yeah. I mean, I've said from the very beginning of this conflict that if if Sunday or Monday after this happened, he showed up in a sober room with a podium and gave his view of what ought to happen in Israel, I think he would have jumped 10 points. Mm-hmm. Because everybody does remember, to your point, everybody does remember how it used to be and the progress that we had made. The, the problem is, is that everyone, as you just said, Duncan, everyone's hesitation is that like he can't stay focused on it. This is why I think he needs to participate in the debates. It's sort of like in baseball. If all you're doing is hitting in the cage and taking the same pitch over and over again from the jugs machine, you get a you get like a head on your shoulders that oh, I can hit anything that's thrown at me. And then sometimes you get too cocky and you just can't hit a pitch that's coming from an actual guy on an actual mound. And I just feel like if he's taken live pitching from these other Republican contenders in the fight for the nomination, it makes him that much stronger when he takes pitching from Democrats and when he sees Joe Biden. Yeah, that's on a good debate. point. I, I, look, I, wait, wait, wait. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know there'd be a rebuttal to each of our picks. But given that, no, go I right will ahead. say this. I didn't mean I, it. I, I, oh, no, 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 I agree. I just think he should participate in the debates. So, I think that sharp iron sharpens iron. He, you know, yeah. he's not above it. He's better than it. Like, so I'm always, I'm always right, it. and here's why. <laughs> because the thing is, is that yes, you may have moments where where Trump was like. Going after Netanyahu because he remembers Netanyahu congratulated Biden. But the thing about Trump is, number one, you're never going to change him. But the reason that he won, the reason that he crushed Hillary, the reason that he's such a force of nature is because he is a force of nature. He, It doesn't matter what the slight is, no matter how small it is, he'll just stomp somebody. And the reason he was a complete shift, because remember, it was just one cycle before we got Donald Trump that Mitt Romney was the nominee. There can be no greater you know, contrast yeah. between two nominees yeah. than going from Mitt Romney to Donald Trump. And for so long, we were dealing with a party where like Candy Crowley is clearly in the bag for the Dems and all Mitt Romney can do on stage is like, Candy, Candy, please, you know. As opposed to Donald Trump, who tells Hillary because you'd be in jail. That is the thing is, you know, and I've said it many times is I feel I want to send the worst monster to go after the people who I loathe and who have done horrible things to this country. (laughs) And I I think that's a sentiment. There's a lot of people who think. And so if you want something, we need to move move on. That's Trump. That is that is a great point. But we do need to move on. I, I, I my pick was DeSantis for all of the reasons that uh that Duncan said. I mean, look, I look at the conservative movement and I think about all of the people that are whining and crying about woke culture. Well, who's done something about it? I look at all of the people who are uh, conflicted and concerned about the abortion position in the Republican Party. Well, you know, who's done something about it? I look about economy. I look about COVID. I look at all the things that 
have us sort of wrapped around the axle and there's somebody who's completely not only unconflicted from a rhetorical standpoint, which is very easy to be, by the way, because all you do is kind of read the electorate and echo it back. But there's somebody who's actually laid down a body of work. Yeah. And when I looked at what he did for with the Israel thing and there was people online saying, like, you're a governor. What the hell do you have to do with any of this stuff? And then all of a sudden he starts shipping people back 300 at a time and then you know, there's supplies going out from Florida on the planes that he has figured out how to procure. I, it's doing stuff. Well, and, and look, dude, it's doing stuff. It, same thing. Same thing happened when he shipped those uh, migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, and you got a lot of people in it changed it, the conversation. A lot of commentators and people, right and left, wringing their hands, being like, "Oh gosh, I don't know if this sends the best message. This is a stunt." Yada yada yada. Now you've got Eric Adams in New York, and you got Hochul or whatever the governor, mm-hmm. and these people, and, and and in Chicago too, being like, "Okay, we can't take any more migrants." You know what? In fact, border security. We need border security now. Fifty-seven yeah. percent support it now, and we yeah. we wouldn't have. That contrast, if it wasn't for people like Ron DeSantis stepping up to the plate and actually doing the thing that makes you able to draw that contrast. Yeah, you got it. You, you can't skate past that. It, right. is, it is important. All right, so here's, a, here's an Israel update. Uh, so we've all seen what's happened here over the last uh, 24 hours or so. I think that the most important stuff here, in my view, is both the continued persistence of a radical left Mm. in support of Hamas and an echo chamber within the corporate mainstream media that has endangered Americans overseas and here domestically as a result of what they've done. Clearly the biggest news was on Tuesday as a errant missile fired from Hamas hit what amounted to be a parking lot next to a hospital mm. um, that was reported immediately by every major news publication in the English-speaking world as an Israeli missile attacking a hospital in Gaza. With 500 With 500 casualties. casualties according to, quote-unquote, Palestinian authorities. Never mind the fact that the That's- hospital itself is... Run by who? Hamas. Yeah, Hamas. The, the Palestinian health authorities. Hamas. Hamas. Right. Right? So the same tor- terrorist organization that was decapitating babies, raping women, kidnapping people, and murdering over 1,300 innocent mm-hmm. human beings 10 days ago is now the, the eminent resource for truth about what's happened in a conflict between these countries. Mm-hmm. Imagine your ideology in trying to square that circle Hmm. right because within hours of it and i'll give the israelis a lot of credit for this they didn't rush out and you know point fingers yeah we were talking they did a forensic analysis of it they 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 got (laughs) audio recordings of hamas officials talking about how we hit our own hospital Mm -hmm. they got uh video evidence and we've since found out from the Biden administration itself, from the De- Department of Defense, yeah. that this was not fired yeah. from Israel. And yet, the headlines from the New York Times. It's just entirely irresponsible. The gray lady. Yeah. Israel's strike kills 
hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. Next headline update. At least 500 dead in strike on Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. Update. At least 500 dead in blast at Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. How in the flying fuck attach are we in a position in this country where you fucking know who Hamas is? They are a state sponsor of terrorism and it's been labeled as such for generations in this country. How is it that you take a spokesperson's comment from what does even a fucking spokesperson look like from Hamas? I mean, like, oh, hey, I'm I'm a Hamas spokesperson. Yeah, it's right. like you what? may have seen me from such hostage tapes as. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm seriously like I it absolutely drives me nuts. But somehow they take this information. And and by the way, many of these updates and I'm not just picking on The New York Times, The Washington Post and everybody else, AP, you name it. Mm-hmm. They they knew because Benjamin Netanyahu, the president of the goddamn country, came out and said definitively, we have tapes Mm -hmm. that show that it is not our missile before they updated and still put it on today's or yesterday's newspaper. Dude, the the irresponsibility is not without consequence. Last night, overnight in Amman, Jordan, there were protests and there were fires lit and they there people were out for blood in Beirut. They were marching on the U.S. Embassy and burning adjacent buildings. I don't know if you saw the video. Yeah. But there were consequences to this irresponsibility by the mainstream media. And they lecture us. They lecture regular people in the country who are just reaching for some sort of regular information. They tell them. It it, it was in Baghdad outside the largest U.S. Embassy on Earth. And it was not just limited to the Middle East. We saw in Germany, mm-hmm. in France, in Canada. Molotov cocktails at a synagogue in Berlin. I mean, that's the thing is this irresponsibility of them taking a, a Hamas press release, reporting it as truth instantaneously, unquestioningly. Right. And these are the same people like, you know, uh, was Ben Collins, Brandy Zadrozny, who are the disinformation reporters right. Right. at NBC. Right. You saw, oh my gosh, I can't even remember the name of this like you know, monster at the LA Times who's, oh, been, yeah, who's their investigative reporter clown. who's been running with all this, and then he deletes his tweets when he's like, gets caught lying yeah. mm-hmm. and still keeps his job. You, you know what was so fascinating? I'm so glad you brought that up, Smug, because I was sort of watching that last night as it unfolded. And to your point, Holmes, once we got real evidence from the Israelis and everybody else that there were recordings, right? And that there was also video of the rockets misfiring as they tried to go to Israel, mm-hmm. right? And we were starting to get more information because I I, like, I hate when people jump to conclusions on mm-hmm. this stuff. I think everybody needs to like take a pause, pump the brakes and figure out what's happening before they tweet so fast all the time. But anyway, all those reporters, the disinformation reporters who, of course, took Gaza Hamas on their word that this was a bomb from Israel. Mm. Did they spend last night apologizing? Have they spent today no. fucking apologizing? Of, 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 course, of not. course not. What they are they doing? They changed the goddamn headline. They t- they and t- by the way, these are the same assholes who spent the entire last 10 days questioning about whether or not babies were how many? How many babies were decapitated? Yeah. You know, I mean, well, sure, they were murdered, but we don't know how many were decapitated. You know what else they did? And this is just like so classic where they make themselves the fucking victim in all of this. They're talking about how toxic 
Twitter has become under yep. Elon. Yeah. Hey, I've got 10 invites to Blue Sky. Who wants to join me on Blue Sky? I don't think I can post on Twitter anymore. Well, because you shared fucking misinformation from a terrorist organization. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you know what? I got to. I, here's a new assignment for you. Why don't you pick up your computer, pack it in your bag, take your Blue Sky account, and go the fuck to Gaza. Right. Go, go sit in there. Why don't you see it for yourself? See how it works out for you. Yeah. And, and the wildest thing is, so like, this reporter NBC, Brandy Zadrozny, then tweets that like, Twitter is such a horrible place. Yeah. It's impossible now to tell what's true and what's a lie. Me, me, you're, I'm the victim. And it's like, you're a Hot journalist. You know what your job is? To find out what the truth <laughs> and the lie. And you're like, your, your job description specifically as a disinformation reporter, I can tell the difference between the truth and a lie. The problem is not the system. The problem is you lack the qualifications to do your job. Not, but, not but, only what, that, what, but, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, what, Smash. What they ultimately want is power. What they yes, want to be yes. is the person who's reporting on the sinking of the Lusitania. They want to be the person reporting on the Zimmerman telegram. Yeah. They want to be the person that support that sparks a war across the entire world based on their beliefs framed under their sympathy for terrorist and, Hamas. And completely unironically, she began publishing articles about how conservative news sites are disinformation. Yeah. This at the same time. Wild. Wild stuff. But also, dude, it's not just... I'm so mad. It's not just uh, the media, Rashida uh, Tlaib. Yes. Um, she put up a, a, a tweet. Can we, can, on, we, can we, before we get to that, I'm not done with the media. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm Let's not go off. Go off, King. Can you, uh, can you get me a little more bourbon? Yes. Yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, honestly, no, keep it. Just go right to the rim with this thing. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've had it. Yes. This is a very different situation than, like, what somebody's take is on a health care policy. Mm -hmm. Right. This is a very ta different take than, like, who said what and whether they're being, right. you know, honest or totally forthright about their intentions in domestic policy or a speaker's race Life or whatever. Line. These are lives. Yes. These are American. You saw multiple American embassies absolutely stormed as a result of this report, as a result of this reporting. And I'm sitting on the set on Fox yesterday, and they've got a guy in the field who's literally sitting in Israel, and he's saying, well, there's a report out of Al Jazeera, which is, by the way, like the only outlet at the time who's saying like they have video of, of Hamas basically shooting this rocket into their own fucking building. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, we can't verify it, but that's what's coming out of Al Jazeera. Mm -hmm. Al Jazeera, the New York Times, right. has more trust and faith in Hamas than Al Jazeera in terms of the faith of, of what it is that the content that they're providing? Are you kidding me? How, how, this is not a two-sided story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not a two-sided story. You have one side that are terrorists. They are monsters. They're subhuman. These are people who stormed into Israel and, and annihilated villages of women, children, raped people, kidnapped, shot dogs. murdered, yeah. shot Babies. dogs, did all this shit yeah. 10 days ago, 10 days, 10 days. I'm not talking about like six months, I'm not talking about 20 years. They did that too, by the way, but they did it 10 days ago and 10 days ago is enough for them to turn around and be like, I don't know. Let's see what they have to say about it. Yeah. Let's see what they have to say about it's it. What's, very, their, what's, their, what's their thought on this process? It, point it's of view. critical to say point blank and very clearly that these reporters are directly responsible for putting out information to incite mobs to attack Americans at a time when 30 Americans have just been killed yeah. and at least possibly 15 are currently being kidnapped 
by Hamas, the group that they are running their press. Here's the thing. The mobs in the attacks are not limited to the Middle East. And this morning, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we all woke up to the New York Post front page, a swastika drawn on the front of the famous Second Avenue deli in New York. Mm -hmm. We have a very, very good friend. We were hanging out with him just this week. He goes to a synagogue in New York. The security measures that they undertake simply to worship are unthinkable. They have to do them. He has friends, a rabbi who wears a ball cap over his yarmulke because he's terrified at what terrorist sympathizers and cheerleaders who might be around him as he walks the streets of New York might do to because, him. Because blocks away, blocks away at NYU, kids are pulling off posters about it's, it's unconscious. I, I mean, what in the world? Who walks around town and is like, oh, there's a poster of an Israeli kid who's missing. I need to tear that down. Yeah. Here's the last point. I don't I think understand you guys, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not. I, I think you will. But, like, I don't care who the president of the United States is. Obviously, we've made it very well known that we don't like Joe Biden as president of the United States. We think he's a disastrous president and he's led to a lot of these problems. But when you're printing this shit as your president is in the air, President of the United States. I mean, get out of here. President of the United States is in the air on the way to Israel, by the way, to meet with several Islamic and Arab countries, and they all cancel as a result of this. Of, of the reporting. Right. They, so you're they having cancel. international talks, yeah. trying to find some sort of a resolution, breakdown. You, you might have, actually, you have heard failed it. your country. Yeah. You yeah. have fit. That is nothing short of treasonous. And I, I'll be honest, like I'm a big First Amendment guy and I absolutely support their right to do whatever the fuck they want to do. But somebody needs to hold them accountable. If you were sitting at the New York Times, the Washington Post or anybody and NBC else. NBC News. NBC News that, that printed this shit. Somebody over there needs to get on camera and look straight in the eye of the American people and describe to them why it is that they sabotage the American effort to try to do anything to resolve this that's issue. A, that's a great point. I mean, it's not like we're big Joe Biden fans, but what you just said is a really, really important point. The guy Nightmare. was flying over and, and trying to say he that he can't do, you know, he's getting older. Video you know came I mean? out like he's, of that night after all these reports came out where the German chancellor was there in Israel and had to hit the deck with his staff at the airport as they were about to board their plane because there were incoming rockets. I, I'm just so mad. One other thing I want to add there, because, I mean, look, I think a lot of these people that, that, that write these stories and the editors that, you know, write the headlines, they're left-leaning, obviously. And I think they want to give the Palestinian people the best shake possible. What I don't think they understand is in doing so with what they did with these articles, they let Hamas off the hook. Mm -hmm. Because in reality, who is terrorizing the people of Gaza? It's Hamas. Yeah. That rocket that killed people in Gaza was fired by them. And so when you when you take their word for it, you're actually undermining the Palestinian people. Yep. You're not just attacking Israel. Right. You're making it harder for a resolution of this entire conflict. Right. This is a very, very important point because what the mainstream corporate media wants is narrative. They're not sticking yes. up for the little guy. They They're not looking out for the the Palestinians. How about the Americans? Who's run over Thirty by Hamas. killed. We have another fifteen hostages. Exactly. Right. There's hundreds of hostages exactly. being held in Gaza right now. Is that something we're exactly. talking about? They no. They, they don't no. care about it. All they care about is the narrative. All they care about is saying is like proving that oh, words are actually violence. Oh, you guys are just a bunch of colonizers. 
I'm from Ohio for crying out yeah. loud. I'm not a colonizer. I'm not the guy marching around New York with a foreign flag chanting kill the Jews. We're we're just like regular people who grew up in this country and they're telling us that we have the problem. It cannot be said enough again. These reporters like Randy Zadrozny, Ben Collins at NBC, the folks at the New York Times who ran with that headline. And the Washington they, Post, they did the same thing. They have put lives at risk given that American embassies were mobbed last night. Intentionally. And they, and they don't care. They did it and deliberately. They and do not they care. they ruined international, any kind of an international chance that we could have to try to help and at the very least release these hostages. All those meetings were cut off as a result of their reporting and lives continue to be at risk because the thing is, is that no one, none of these mobs are going to go read a correction or, or right. one of these ghost edits because they right. love ghost editing their headlines. They already have what that. they want. Hey, they hey guys, hey guys, hey, hey guys, put down the Molotov cocktails. I got a push notification from the New York Times. It looks like they goofed. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. not how it works. There is no accountable. And ex as Ashbrook said, these are the same people who are telling us that words are violence, that misgendering yeah. someone, lives will be put at risk. We saw lives being put at risk as a result of their words. Will there be any accountability? I'm not betting on it. No, can, can not we, at all. Can we get let's to Rashid? Now let's get to Rashid. I'm yeah, sorry yeah, that the yeah. tangent, but it's I felt a, like it needed to be said. No, no. It was I'm well, it was well said. Yeah. It got me another bourbon, so I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I don't think this stuff from the media is possible unless the call's coming from inside the House of Congress itself. And the reality is that we have members of Congress that endorse and support the terrorist activity of Hamas and chiefly among them is Rashida Tlaib. After this news broke of, you know, a bomb or a missile or whatever hitting a, a hospital in Gaza, she wrote on Twitter, Israel just bombed the Baptist hospital killing 500 Palestinians, parenthetical, doctors, children, patients, just like that. POTUS, this is what happens when you refuse to facilitate a ceasefire and help de-escalate. Your war and destruction only approach has opened my eyes and many. Now, many Palestinian Americans and Muslim Americans as well, we will remember where you stood. So, I, I mean, point well taken on what you've said earlier, Holmes, that suddenly we're taking the word of Hamas. People well, who, I'm not surprised that Rashida Tlaib did like because that she basically is Hamas. Like it, it, it took, it took uh, 10 days for Israel to figure out how many of their civilians had been murdered. Yeah. But Rashida Tlaib is 100% certain within an hour of this missile or bomb going off in Gaza that 500 doctors, children, patients had been killed. Michael, let me ask you, uh, upon realization that there were multiple intelligence uh, reports that that, in fact, was not the case, did you delete the tweet? Mm. No, you know what? She, she did not. In, in fact... Joe Biden's own National Security Council has said now definitively that Israel is not responsible for that happening, that the missile misfire came from Gaza, came from terrorists. Michael, Independently verified by the Defense Department. Independently verified. Yeah. She has not deleted that tweet at all. Okay. She has not apologized. Okay, I, I have a question. Sometimes okay. when you're reading things, uh, sometimes you, you, you read them quickly. And I'm just wondering if maybe you overlooked a mention of the American hostages um, who are being held oh, did she, by Oh, did she have anything yeah, to you say know, about I don't, that? I, I don't see any of that. What I do see... Anything about the 30 Americans who were killed by these terrorists? No, nothing, no, about nothing of that. Anything about the rapes and the beheadings? No. You know, in fact, it seems like all she's done 
since I mean, clearly, she knows she's a fucking liar. And she know she's dug in on this position she and she care. won't delete it. So she's just RTing a bunch of other disinformation from irresponsible bad faith actors uh, about the situation happening over there. But I, what I thought was most interesting, um, and Nick, can you uh, cue this up? Uh, we got a clip of what, what she decided to do um, on, on Wednesday. Let's uh, play clip three. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital Oy. with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry she and like let them lie. cry. She knows it's a lie. And they're shaking and somebody, you know this, they keep telling them it. not to cry. She knows it's a they, do, they can cry, I can cry, we all can cry. If we're not crying, Something is wrong. Hey, so, listen, Hamas, you, listen, Hamas you killed the kid. You psychopath. The people that you're actually defending sent a goddamn rocket, maybe made out of the water system that Israel tried to provide people in Gaza, into the damn thing. And by the way, it didn't even really hit it. It hit the parking lot. And I don't know how many people died, but it certainly wasn't what... what the Hamas claimed it was it, it, tragic nevertheless, but it wasn't what she said. And we knew it definitively. And definitively. then she comes out. It's, that. it's also very important to say while she was on her way out of the Capitol to speak to that group, there were at least two reporters who uh, asked her, are you aware this tweet that you said is incorrect? Because now we have from multiple sources, including the Biden administration, including the defense department, that this is inaccurate. Are you going to delete that tweet? Are you going to say that, oh, hey, I was mistaken? And she refused to answer them. They shouted these questions multiple yep. times at her. She refused to answer them. And then she went out and she lied. She's dishonest. She's Baghdad Bob and pumps. Is there I mean, any crying out loud like she like she doesn't even belong in Congress? Is there that's the thing? Is there she any way for the I, house but beyond takes, that? Can the house I'm not sure she belongs in this country? To be honest with you, if you're talking about somebody who she may not have set the bomb. She may not have been a part of the attack, but she's providing motivation and intent for people, as evidenced by what happened on Tuesday night in all of those embassies around the world. There is somebody that is speaking to misinformation that is giving them the opportunity and the, and the motivation to attack, to attack Americans. That's what she's doing. She's doing it willfully. And she's doing it with total intent. And she has the gall to go up there on stage and cry and cry and know that what she is saying is false because multiple people, including the Biden administration, has said what she's saying is false. Because what's more important to her than anything else is killing Jews mm. and maintaining the Hamas terrorist power structure that keeps regular Palestinians down. All she wants is status quo. <sighs> I mean, to be honest with you, I hate to think that that's even a, in the calculus of anybody who lives in this country, but it, it, it's proofs in the pudding on some of this stuff. Like, it's really, it's super disappointing. Um, anyway, so that's all that. Here's the speaker's race in a nutshell. Jim Jordan, he railed, went up, he lost a couple more votes. They're not going to get there. Uh, they're going to do it again. 
there's been a lot of talk around Washington about whether Patrick McHenry, who's the acting speaker, is going to be basically given more power than is allotted under the statute of a sitting sort of. Can, can we get a speaker to try and like expel Rashida Tlaib? Like, we need a speaker. We need a speaker. Need Come a on, Republic. I have two. I have two demands. One is the the expelling of Rashida Tlaib. Two is if it's going to be Patrick McHenry, wear a regular tie. We can't. No have, more bow ties. We can't have. We cannot have a speaker with he, a bow tie. But he's a southern gentleman. He's a southern gentleman, but we need somebody who looks like an adult. Oh, with that, I'd, I'd be down. He, I love he can him wear so a bow tie. much. He can wear a cravat. He can wear a, what are those like a cowboy cravat. things? Anything he wants. <laughs> yeah. If he's like presiding Do over, cr- kicking out Rashida Tlaib. If he does, he can. He can actually. You know go what? For it. Yeah, I'll amend. He yeah. can. He can wear a bolo tie. You have bolo. convinced me. He can roll up with a bolo. I'll amend. If he puts it, it, something to expel Rashida Tlaib, I'm fine yeah. with the bow tie. Yeah. Any speaker. He can come a up. Speaker. He can come up there like a Chippendales dancer for all <laughs> I care. <about. laughs> oh God, I do actually love Patrick McHenry. Great I think guy. He's great. I'm giving. I'm busting. North Carolina his balls is sending about the bow tie because I think it's like how quickly we'll become the monopoly men if yeah. if that's the face, but. You know, I, I, I do like them, and we could do a hell of a lot worse. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We have to play a game, fellas. Uh, before we get to this big interview, we're going to go play King of the Hill. Who do we got? Well, I am uh, the defending uh, champion with Bill Crystal. He's won now, I think, three times in a row. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a, a win streak here going, and I'm up against Ashbrook, right? Yeah, so the challenger this week is an oldie but goodie. It's Jen Brainworms, Ruben. Ah, bring him back wow. to classics. Okay. Ooh. And now I'm bailiff and smug as judge. Wow. Judge, jury, executioner. This Let's is going to be good. Let's go. Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting out of the Washington Post, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the red corner, fighting out of Pierre Omadier's checkbook, and current champion of the world bill war now war forever crystal well done well done i'll welcome both competitors into the ring and presiding is the honorable smug it's good to have you uh as judge i mean i'm the best judge many people say i should be full-time judge and i'm going to show that as we see what, what y'all got as a defending champion. Let's hear what you got first. Okay. What do I want to play here first? A lot of options. Okay. Uh, Nick, can I see number 10? <laughs> 10 exhibits. Well, we, I, they're, they're numbered. I, I only have four. But can you he, believe he's, he's got, got 10 exhibits, this guy? <laughs> 10 exhibit Duncan. Okay, what do we got? Well, we got a poem is what we have. Whoa, Jesus. Oh, my God. God. Uh, so this is an homage to Yates. Um, I think it's a slouching towards Bethlehem reference here. Uh, is this our fate? Things fall apart. The center K 
cannot hold. MAGA extremists take over the House. The insurrectionist's tide is loosed. And the ceremony of democracy is drowned. The moderates lack all conviction. While the worst are full of passionate intensity. And he hat tips Yates. Like he has a t- fucking Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> a hat tip. <laughs> HT. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm familiar with that poem. And while he, he used some of the same words, I think it's the next line is mere anarchy is loosed upon the word. Yeah. World. The, the so Falcon, while he used the same words. The Falcon can't hear the Falconer. It yeah. didn't. I don't think he went with the rhyming. So I'm going to consider that in judging. Which is, which is. Which is hilarious because he hat tips it and he just fucking butchers might it. Ma- yeah. Might make it worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might make it worse. Uh. Okay, Nick, uh, we're looking for exhibit two, please. <laughs> and Jen Rubin writes, has a candidate for speaker ever won more plurality votes than Hakeem Jeffries? <laughs> Not even close. She's so dumb. She's supposed to be the conservative <laughs> yeah, columnist for the Washington so Post, dumb. and she's dunking on every Republican as if she were Hakeem Jeffries' what press a secretary. Dumb take. I mean, the thing is, is that you expect the brainworm takes from Jen Rubin, but like that's an extra special. Dumb. It, it is kind of special, and you know, I I know that kind he of, is quoting the Second Coming. It's the end of the world. Crystal's, it is a poem about the return of Jesus Christ on Earth. I know Crystal she has the pumping. like shtick of of like being kind of like pompous and, and but she, I mean, come on, she's man. pumping up a run of the mill. I I, I give the first round of Ruben. Unbelievable. Yeah, I feel like I feel like unbelievable. Just as a, has an outsider, a moral plurality. Like, are you serious? As an outsider, I feel like uh, the reading of the judge and jury. Uh, may have been your problem there, Duncan. Yeah, he doesn't read a lot. So. <laughs> I literally knew the poem. You just did a bad job. And I have a way these attacks job. on this court, you that just, insurrection. I did a bad job. Yep. I'm going to wear that insurrection. Okay. All right, Ashbrook, what do you got? Exhibit five, please, Nick. <laughs> did a bad job. <laughs> Exhibit five, Jen Rubin. Trump, <laughs> the, Okay. Just let me know when you're ready, Your I'm Honor. So take, right. take your time, I'm sir. Sorry, I'm take, sorry. take your time, Your Honor. You're fine, whatever you need. Trump feeds the MAGA extremist ambitions in the House. They in turn demonstrate they're inseparable from their cult leader. A vote for either a Republican House or a Trump amounts to a demand for chaos, lawlessness, vengefulness, and extremism. So if you vote for a Republican in the House, it's uh, lawlessness. Vengefulness and extremism. Mm. Okay. Again, this is the conservative columnist for I will, the Washington Post. All right. I all will right. invite. I will invite uh, Mr. Duncan. Nick, can you give me Exhibit Nine, please? Okay. Here's <laughs> here's Bill Crystal. For what it's worth, this afternoon I've gotten a few calls and texts along the lines of quote. I hear so-and-so is open to working with Dems on the speakership. Who do you think would be good to talk with him, etc.? Is it possible frustration among sane Republicans is hitting a tipping oh point? Oh, my God. First of all, the idea that anybody texts Bill Crystal <laughs> yeah. for what is going on in the House Republican conference is fucking ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, that's unbelievable. There really is nothing more that needs to be said. The absurdity of him thinking that anyone, or, or he's just lying because we know that didn't happen. <laughs> nobody, and I mean nobody, would consult consult Bill Crystal about any of this to be like, "Hey, Bill Crystal, what's your take on this?" Nobody, nobody would. It's very clear. For that reason, Bill Crystal takes that round. Okay, so we're into the final and decisive round. Nick, can you give me number eight, please? Bill Crystal. Scalise said last night when he withdrew his speaker candidacy that he intended to remain as majority leader. Maybe that's just a poll stressing that he still matters. Or does he suspect there could be a Democratic speaker in which case oh. he's maneuvering to remain Republican leader. Man. This is like this the wish-casting QAnon bullshit of the resistance libs, <laughs> that there is still hope that a Hail Mary will come and that Hakeem Jeffries will become speaker. It's I, I, I've never seen anybody more committed to the bit than Bill Crystal. Every day he has three or four of these that he just gets that engagement on. I love it. Yeah. I mean, wow. Okay. Uh, Challenger. Okay, Nick, exhibit six, please. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the conservative (laughs) columnist for the Washington Post. Republicans have made hatred of police and military a mandatory (laughs) part of GOP identity. Let's call it what it is. Weak on security <laughs> and unpatriotic. <laughs> she tweets this every Your day. Your Honor. No, she doesn't. Your she Honor. She tweets this every day. That's different. Your Honor. That's great. Just Repub- come on. Republican. Everybody knows that's the winner. That's Everybody. Like, you don't even need to sell it to me, Ashbrook. Everybody knows. I mean, it's pretty clear that's the winner. I mean, outstanding. And the thing is, is that sh- she has some bangers. The weak Like, tea. the number of folks who had DM'd me her tweets because she's been just going <laughs> off. Off. That's a winner. She's and because cer- of that take, certainly never and, tweeted that and, before. And again, Duncan doing a very poor job. <laughs> Jen Rubin's the winner. Congratulations. Okay. You Mr. did a bad Ashford. job. It was yeah. great. All right. So I feel like before we lead into the interview, I got one more for you. We're going to need to leave you with this. Uh, can we cue up the lion clip? I think it's uh, in clip two. All right, so we've oh. seen the animals do some fucking crazy This we have not seen. It's not enough for the lion to be tormenting the humans. He's tormenting another lion on top of the humans. He's making sweet, sweet love. It's a it family is- tour. If I've ever seen a cocky move, it's this Wait, move. Is that on top of like a safari vehicle? Yeah. yeah, it's a cage. Oh, this is look at him. He comes back at the guy. Uh, so here's the here's the here's the thing about it is it's not completely on the first off. That's completely inappropriate. <laughs> this is a family program. But if now we've already crossed the Rubicon on that one, the lion is not alone to blame. She jumped up there. Oh, this is on the wait, lioness. She jumped up there. It's on the, the lioness. Lion, the lioness jumped up there. You're saying that the male lion is no blame. I mean, hey, can we get lion, one more? Can we get lions one more go where the lions go? Let's get one go. more play. Let's play this. it one more time. Oh my god, we gotta get this. She got up there. <laughs> very. I, I want to point out, very classy. If you're not on our YouTube, we've censored this video yep. with, with a logo. 
Oh my gosh. Here's the thing. If she was in a tree, he'd be in a tree. If she was in a cave, he'd be in a cave. She picked that spot, terrorizing clearly a family. The other thing I'll say for our listening audience is that the, the, the folks sitting under that chain link roof are moving out of the way. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, people are moving to protect themselves. We haven't seen that. We've seen a man get shot by his dog. We've seen... Hog uh, killed by its butcher. Hog killed by its butcher. We've seen all of these things that kind of show off Mm -hmm. that we've seen there. The Mm -hmm. tormenting of humans. That is a level of cocky. That that, that was a spike in the football. He was like, everybody come look at my girlfriend. That's what he was saying. New level of disrespect. Yeah, that's disrespect at its highest level. And next. (laughs) 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 Poor guy. I'm sorry we've led into that. By the way, he would disapprove of all of us. I know he would, yeah. Of all of us. But we welcome presidential candidate Tim Scott. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. Welcome back to our presidential showcase brought to you by America's Oil and Natural Gas. You can learn more at api.org. We are absolutely thrilled to finally make this happen. Uh, he's been a good friend of the program, but we've not seen him in a while. It's I've heard that rumor. Senator Tim Scott. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm doing really well. I, I'm just glad to be back on the show, finally, live and in color. I will say <laughs> it is always good to be back on the show. Uh, I, I've missed you, Josh. Oh, I, missed we've you. missed you too. We thought maybe we offended you last time we were no, around. You, you were strong. You were clear. You, you poked a little bit, but I, I kind of thought we had a good, developed a good relationship. <laughs> but I kept looking for the, the won't he come back? And then I heard that y'all were not happy that I hadn't come back yet. And I was, I was unhappy that I hadn't come back well, yet. So we are now. We're making back. it happen. We're, we're making it back. happen. This is and what ho- the hopefully audience... this won't be the last time. No, absolutely. I'm hoping, not. hoping this, not. this is this is what the audience deserves. We've yes. had uh, well, just about everybody, and um, you know anybody worth making a pitch, we figure you come on. We absolutely. ask you a few questions, and I know that you've been basically everywhere. Um, I, like I mean, you've been been running hard. We are. Listen, I I gotta tell you, as a kid who grew up in a single parent household, lots of poverty. Uh, lots of challenges with is will this country work for a kid like me? Are there inner city communities where we are just carved out of opportunity in this country because of where we come from? And the fact of the matter is that the one thing I can tell you at the end of five months of being on the campaign trail is the answers to that question is uh, a reject the question because it's absurd. Mm. B there are a lot of people on the radical left who make a lot of money telling poor kids like I used to be that this country doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting that that's true, but it's actually true. So the reality of it is after 5 months going to places where like Iowa, New Hampshire, I walk in a room and people are like, "Wow, we can tell you're here." So you know, but at the end of the day they 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 love character. Yeah. They love optimism. They love people who want to make a difference in this country. And the one thing I can tell you to every single inner city kid, every kid living in rural uh, Iowa or New Hampshire, that this country works for you. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And if I can 
continue to share the good news of America to Americans. I hope that as we look back four, eight, or 12 years from now, what we look back at is a path that was difficult, challenging, headwinds. But in the end, everyone who follows us, Mm -hmm. they're better off than we are because we all leaned into the one American family that exists. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think you're, you've, you've said it here before and that was, that was well said, but your candidacy is, is about more than just sort of getting to the finish line. Right? Yes. You're going out and you're meeting people where they live and talking to them about sort of what inspires them, trying to knock down every sort of left wing narrative about Absolutely. who they're supposed to be. Um, and I imagine that you've run into all kinds of different stuff as you're on the campaign trail. Can you think of like what, what are some of the most inspiring things? And on the other hand, what's some of the most disappointing things that you sort of run into? You know, perhaps the one of the most inspiring things was this little cute blonde haired girl nine years old she made me a bracelet at the <laughs> iowa fair that's a hell of a place wasn't it it was really cool wasn't it really cool? cool i hate to say it i shouldn't say it i'm gonna say it anyways that some of the best ribs i've ever had oh you get in trouble for this. exactly <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna stop there see no wonder see I, josh you, i'm gonna leave it alone right there see it was in south carolina and iowa fair she's yeah, exactly right, right. Right. Uh, she, still got she, a career to think about here exactly. <laughs> uh, she, she was she was so thrilled to see me and she wanted me to be her president and it it almost brought tears to my eyes as the little girl stood with her dad bringing me this little bracelet and I wore that bracelet for months oh man I still have it and then the other day I was in uh, New Hampshire in uh, Panera Bread and this she's four years old and she she kept tugging on her dad and and he, he said what's up sweetheart and I he goes round. He goes down to listen to her, and then he looks at me and says, "Talks to her, looks at me, and he walks over to me and says, are you Tim Scott?'" I said, I said "Yes, sir, I am." He says, "My daughter wants to meet you." I'm like, "Well, how in the world does your four-year-old daughter even know who I am?" She she watches TV she and she knew. thinks you're the president. Because he says, Tim Scott for president, so she literally walks over and, and then, person after person, she was in Panera Bread with her two grandparents, her mother, her dad. Her eight-year-old, I thought, yes, brother. And so I'm standing in line, and then she brings over this guy, and she says, this is Pops. This is Tim Scott. I'm like, good to meet you, Pops. She's, she's making the introductions yeah. here. She goes back again. <laughs> she's got to be a place on staff for this girl. I told myself, huh? I said, I said is there, is there, are there really child labor laws in this country? Because I need this one on my campaign trail. And person after person kept coming. I was like, my gosh. <laughs> Whoever I'm paying in New Hampshire, they're fired. <laughs> I'm hiring this, this is little four-year-old girl, and she—I've got pictures of her. I'll have to show you. She was the cutest little thing, and she brought her her mother and then her eight-month-old, not eight-year-old. Yeah. Her eight-month-old brother cannot vote at all, but I went over and talked to him anyways. It was such a cool experience. Those are two really inspiring. They kind of keep you going on the rough days, right? And then the rough days are days when the dude who pulled the fire alarm in the house, (laughs) was that knucklehead's name? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Bowman. Yeah, Yeah. Bowman. He he, he refers to me as Sambo. Yeah. Because people like me uh, in the conservative part of the party who happen to be black Mm -hmm. have to be Sambo because anytime you see the radical left on the losing side of an argument, Mm -hmm. they always pull out the biggest race card they can find. Mm. And unfortunately, they are willing to divide this country to hold on to their power. Mm -hmm. It's not about 
progress. It's about control. It's not about motivating people. It's about manipulating people to stay in their place. And what they're basically trying to say, especially to those kids that grew up growing up like I, I did, sit down, shut up, and don't forget to vote as long as you're voting blue. And they use these, not even dog whistles, these blatant discriminatory words and uh, um, innuendos at times that say to a guy on a campaign trail, you're an idiot. And yeah. we want to tell every other kid that looks like you, don't do what he's doing because we're going to raise the price and yeah. make it really hard for you to even think about being successful. How so much, that's probably the darkest day. Yeah, I mean, how much, because like you've been facing that since day one yeah. in your public career. And Absolutely. as more successful as you've gotten throughout your career, the louder those voices have, Absolutely. have become. And I wonder, you know, obviously dark and disappointing and, you know, all of that. But I wonder, given your message, how much of that you almost welcome at this point because your ability to turn that around and say, see yeah. what I'm talking about here? Uh, I'm not making it up. Yes, I mean, Josh. that's basically what you do almost every day. But then every time you get a Bowman or whomever pop yeah. up, you're like, well. You know, the, I, for me, yeah, I think you, you do grow a little thicker like skin along the almost. way. But you do hear the actual message is using me as a delivery system for yeah. others who are trying to figure their own path forward for others who are learning to think for themselves and learning how to think as opposed to what to think. And I know that they're sending a message through the critics criticism of me to other people. Mm -hmm. And that to me is just, it's, it's beneath the office of Congress. No, totally it's agree. beneath being a good leader, but those yo-yos, as I like to say, since I try not to use profanity. <laughs> <laughs> very, uh, very polite it, gentleman. It's, it's, it's just it's deadly for boneheads like that to say stupid stuff like that. Yeah, I'm afraid my profanity would slip out a time or two well, please, if I were in your Please, do shoes. it on my behalf. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you want to say something, just know I wish I would have said it too. So. Yeah. <laughs> your restraint is admirable. So, Senator, we are just a few months away from Iowa. Yeah. And... Um, you know, the party is pretty much divided in half between people who are currently supporting Donald Trump and people who are supporting other candidates like yourself. And I mean, if you're on the Internet at any point uh, <laughs> on any day, you see that there's a lot of consternation amongst folks who are not supporting Donald Trump. The field is large. It's the field's too divided. Candidates are attacking each other. What is your plan to consolidate support in you know, behind your candidacy, yes. uh, what does that look like? And as we get closer to Iowa, you know, what is the metric to success that you look you look for there? Well, I think the only the only way to measure success in a political field is not by the the warmth that I get in my belly for, <laughs> for, yeah. for president, right? It, 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 you can only measure it in votes. I mean, caucus goers voting for you is the strongest and, frankly, the only measurement that will matter on January the 15th. So getting there, it, it will take a, a, really a complete focus in many ways uh, on Iowa and then some on New Hampshire. But my, my strategy is a very simple one. We have to do really well in Iowa for us to be successful in this campaign. There's no way to say it any other way. Mm -hmm. And so we're excited about spending more time in Iowa. We have turned that corner. We're spending a lot of time in Iowa. We'll continue to do more of the same. And the good news is we had three town halls on Thursday and mm -hmm. they were standing room only. So the on the ground feels really, really good. Uh, converting that into votes, uh, you got 200,000 folks that are gonna show up at the Iowa caucus. 
you need to be in the 30% range from my perspective to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and as you think about that, because I know, look, you've had, you had staff last week that was pitching major donors on yes. the idea that you were the best one to try to unite any the, the, the vote Republican votes that are not in Trump camp, right. basically. And I wonder from your perspective, I thought, I mean, look, it's a logical thing. And anybody in your shoes would want that exact same pitch. I wonder, because your candidacy hasn't really drawn a ton of contrast with Trump. You've done your own thing. Yes. You've talked about your own message. You have not done a lot of contrast with Trump, as opposed to like, you know, DeSantis or Christie or, or even Nikki to a certain extent are are trying to draw that contrast. How do you, what about the way you are running do you think has a better ability to sort of consolidate that other side? Josh, I think this is such a good question and a fair question. I think that what we saw, so I'd say historically speaking, 2016 is a great uh, opportunity to take a look back at recent history to see how it works. We had 17 candidates, I think, and Mm -hmm. 16 all hit Trump as hard as humanly possible. And ultimately, they all went down as he went up as a result of of the conflict. What I've seen this, this, this cycle as well is we've seen Ron hit him very hard with a lot of resources behind it, and his numbers kept going up, and Ron failed precipitously. Nikki has dabbled in it a little bit, uh, and, and it has not worked out very well. I haven't dabbled in it, and I'm still working really hard to, to, to get more traction mm-hmm. without much of a question. I would say this, though. I, I would say that the path forward is having someone who's willing to wrestle with Donald Trump, but when it matters. What we see today, and, and I hope it breaks through. This is a, it's a strategy that I believe will work long term. Uh, I hope the definition of long term is between now and January 15th. So, <laughs> yeah, so, right. so that, uh, it's all relative. It's right? all relative, right? And so it, when, when, when he was president, it was really hard for anybody to hit him. Everybody backed away from hitting him. But when I talked about him compromising his moral authority as a result of yeah, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, I remember that. I, I had a very public spat with him. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when he called, seven countries, the crap hole countries. Yeah. I had a spat with them. Uh, when we had folks that I didn't prefer to support, we had sometimes a public spat. When when we were going through the nomination process of Amy Comey Barrett and he had said something about something, I said, like, if he doesn't withdraw what he said, I guess he meant it. It, it turned into a bit I of a I remember thing. that too. Yeah, yeah. so, so, the so bomb, it's picking your spots. when well, you. And I think it has to matter. Yeah. The, the one thing about uh, fighting with Donald Trump for your benefit, it never works out to your benefit. Mm. I think you have to fight with the former president because it matters to the American people, not when it just matters to your political progress. It just doesn't really work. And I have only seen one opportunity to to have that kind of divide with, with the former president, and that's over his comments about Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. I think when you're going into a war, you don't need anybody. Yeah. yeah. Anybody. <laughs> right saying a single thing about your leadership except for support when you're in the midst of the war that is now ensuing. And so when President uh, Trump talked to former President Trump, talked about you know, being disappointed in Netanyahu, it's a terrible thing to say right now. I can't think of a worse thing to say right now. And so listen, I, I, I called him out all week on that because I think it matters. And so my strategy may not be the best political strategy I can say it is better than those who think that hitting him is going to somehow raise them in the polls. I can honestly say my belief is that at the end of this cycle, 
when we're electing another president. If, if we have someone, whether it's the former president or some of the folks who are running against me, who, who can divide the country and add just a few more points to win, we will be in worse shape in four years than we are now. Mm. Uh, we will be more polarized than we are now. We will have fewer economic opportunities around this country than we have now. We will be struggling with a, a higher level of debt than we have now. In order for us to tackle the really monumental issues that this country will face for the next generation, we are going to have to have a leader that actually seeks to unite the country so that the actual power of the presidency comes with a real red wave. Without that, my prediction is, even if we win the White House, we will lose more of the country and ultimately we'll be in worse predicament going forward after 2024 if our best candidate who wins is a candidate who provides for more division, more polarization, and more ugliness so that they become the nominee. That strategy is good for politics short term, bad for governing and bad for healing a country that is still the only superpower on the earth. And we are talking about ourselves in the, in the midst of a decline. I think that that will pay dividends in the wrong direction long term. Yeah. Senator, let me, let me ask you about debates. Sure. Uh, you really turned up the heat in the second debate. And yes. of course, we're a couple weeks away from Miami. Uh, can we expect more of the same from you there, one? And two, do you think that President Trump should show up and, and participate? The latter question first, absolutely. Everyone who wants to be the president of the United States has a, a duty and an obligation to be on the debate stage so as to allow the American people to see what you offer in a unique and uh, a specific way for, for their uh, perusal, so to speak. Um, I think you will see more of the same from me. I think at the end of the day, my, my quest has always been to be an optimist, to be positive. I'm positive that showing the contrast between me and my opponents is a good thing, not a bad thing. Mm. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I like that sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> positive spin. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When I when I suggest an attack ad to a, a candidate, I'm going to use that too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be positive about this. I'm positive. You don't do this, it ain't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it works for me too. I like that. I, I do think that. Uh, People want to know the difference. I mean, listen, I have significant differences with Nikki on the issue of refugees. I, I think letting them in our country from uh, Palestinian refugees is a really bad idea. I, I think uh, I have differences on the issue of life. Uh, I, I think having a 15-week limit, Ron just joined me a few weeks ago and at the last debate, and, and Nikki's not there yet. So I, I do think those things matter, mm -hmm. and, and to the extent that we focus on those contrasts, I'm not going to make it personal. I'm not going to start off and say, you know, I really have known you for a long time, and <laughs> blah, 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 and then attack you. I, I, then it just lacks integrity. But in the end, I do believe that ultimately having a contrast mm -hmm. is important. I will have another dose of WWE before I go out there. Yeah, so you're, not, you're, not, you're not new to this. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, my first debate, I really wanted to have a grown-up adult conversation, but it's not good for ratings. So yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the day, they hate that. You got you to gotta be willing to uh, – you guys are old enough to remember Ric Flair. Oh, oh yeah. Hell, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. You want to be the, the man? Boy. The nature you got boy. to beat the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to do it all. You got to do the walk. You got to do the walk. You got to have the robe on, though. You got to slick the yeah. back. It won't work for me, but y'all have a chance. And so literally having, having a good time out there is part, a part of the challenge, right? Is just relaxing, mm -hmm. having fun, but, but having a bit of a show 
but I'm going to always come back to the substance. Hmm. I don't mind entertaining people, but let's make sure that we are talking about the contrast on our ability to lead this country and not just a personal divisive attacks so that you rise in the polls and frankly ruin the the character that has to lead. I think that's I mean look I think that's a, you've done a really good job of explaining your point of view because I think some of your critics look at that and you're uh, you know, not sort of gratuitous attacks on other candidates, not trying to draw can- contrast, that kind of thing. And people say, well, here's a guy who's running for vice president. Yeah. Right. Terrible idea. Which, which, I mean, you wouldn't Insulting. even. Insulting. Would you, would you even have any interest no, in that game? No, why would you? <laughs> I mean, seriously, who, I was talking to one of my friends and he said, you do realize second place is the first loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, crap, you're right. I don't want that. Uh, no, who wants that? But I will also say, I don't want to poison the well so much so that everything that I say is going to be on a Democrat campaign ad. Oh, that's a good point. Number two, if the appetite in politics is for denigrating your opponent so that you step on their dead carcass, that's called normal, right? <laughs> I'm from South Carolina. You know, we, we, I remember the, the Southern strategy. I, I rem- remember mm-hmm. what, <clears throat> what some did in order for us to achieve victory uh, yeah, there's been some the tough politics down there. Absolutely. It's a blood sport. It's like a knife fight in a phone booth. I mean, <laughs> it's serious. <laughs> right. But I will say I'm asking America to follow a different kind of leader. Mm-hmm. And I could very easily start saying the most provocative things that would help me rise very quickly in the polls. I know exactly how to be that guy. You get a call from mom, though. Well, and <laughs> she would not my be conscience as well, <laughs> and my mom, uh, and, and my my pastor probably. But more <laughs> importantly, I think five years from now, people look back at how you won, hmm. and you look around the country. Like uh, this is what I do. Over the last two years, the one thing I can say about Joe Biden is he's been a divider in chief, though he ran as a uniter in chief. Mm-hmm. It helped him win, frankly, South Carolina and. Uh, Jim Clyburn helped them win. But what's been the result of that kind of victory? Where you talked about unifying our country, but you've led through division. Our country's not just worse off, but significantly worse off because we have a divider in chief. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And, And I will tell you that the toxicity that is ever present in our society, it feels like, comes from having people who've made it about themselves and not about the country. And that's just not the leader I'm going to be, even though I see the advantageous position that it can create on a campaign trail. It just leads to a country devoid of real opportunity to lean into a better future. Yeah, that's well said. I want to I go back to the primary just for a moment. How important is it to you, you think, for the Republican Party to have a real contest here to ensure that you've got you know, maybe it's more than one, but at least an alternative to Donald Trump rather than sort of like these 30-point margins that you're seeing in all the early states. And then, of course, nationally, it might be even worse than that. How important do you think that is for the party? Yeah, I I think the process that we're going through right now is incredibly important for the country and for the party, more for the country than the party, because I think what the country's asking is, can those guys over there actually govern and, yeah, well, and frankly, giving them some reason here in the House of Representatives. Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the second thing I think they're asking, uh, the country's asking about the party, is I agree with them on economic policy. I typically agree with them 
frankly, on immigration policy. I typically agree with them on the military. I typically agree with them on the foreign policy. But can I trust them? Mm-hmm. You look at 2020 and 2021, January 5th. Everybody remembers January 6th. Yeah. You remember January 5th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two seats in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. One seat is worth $4 trillion. Yeah. And we, the party, told northern Georgians to stay home. Yeah. And the result of that has been cataclysmic failure. Yeah. And then 2022, President Obama and Democrats sold the country on the democracy is in jeopardy because of the candidate selection on our side. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, people say it was just a life issue, abortion issue that cost us our our majority in the Senate. That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe it was, in fact, more than that. I think it was, in fact, the ability for the left to sell Americans that we, the party, the GOP, the party of liberty and freedom, could compromise the future of this country. And they're dead wrong, mm-hmm. 100% wrong, but they did a better job of selling than we did the opposite. And so in my opinion, my estimation is that's why how you win the primary is so important, but having the kind of contest that allows for people to see the differences between the candidates is really important. Well, and I think that's right. I, the reason I asked the question is in your in your case scenario here and what you want to accomplish is you just articulated from now until the Iowa caucuses. If you hit every mark and you get a let's say something close to 30%, you're up first or second in exactly. Iowa, how much do you think at that point you're talking to other candidates about do we try to consolidate within this field? Yeah. Do we try to make sure that there is an actual choice here? Because as you go along after Iowa, it doesn't get any easier for no. anybody not named Donald Trump. You, no you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you have three shots of that, three bites of that apple, so to speak. I think it, it, I, Nevada was obviously in the middle of all that, mm-hmm. and I think that's true. They have had their own consternation between the primary and the caucus. It, it, we haven't even begun to explain that to the audience. Yet, <laughs> okay, so. yeah, we'll leave it there then. <laughs> so, 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 Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. If you cannot and are not competitive in all three states yeah. in the 20 to 30 range, you have no path. Yeah, you, you, can't, you, like, you can't get into the you, you Super can't Tuesday forward. discussion. You cannot. Yeah. In my opinion, having the kind of feel that we have, and hopefully it pairs down along the way between now and the end of the year, coming into the caucus, being in a position to then showcase maybe three potential candidates who are very different on some areas of importance, but they all three have the ability to stand toe-to-toe with President former president and be successful and beat Biden or Newsom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, right. I, I mean, listen, it's I, as easy a proposition yeah. as any, right? Anyone who thinks that this is, that the Democrats are done. Yeah. They have, they have got to have a backup plan. Yeah. I saw that 60 minutes interview. That's, it looked like a backup plan to me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know who he was. I was like, wait a second. I had to go type in Governor of California. I assume that they just replaced him. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I don't believe in aliens. But I tell you what, he sounded like someone who's never run for office in California because he sounded almost moderate. Because I feel like they're grooming someone. And we all know it's not Kamala. Yeah. Right. Not right. Kamala. So I think they have a backup plan because every time I listen to the current president speak, yeah, I'm like, this is getting harder. Well, anytime you lose Scott Pelley on that, you know you've got a, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. When Scott's like, 
really? Are you are you seriously going to run? And he's like, yeah, for the following reasons that like I can barely even articulate. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, to be kind. Yeah, yeah, it is very interesting. So you. You talk a little bit about not wanting to give the Democrats ammunition for an attack ad, and maybe that sort of informs the way you draw a contrast with other candidates. But you also talked about 2022 and 2021 and the electorate not being willing to trust Republicans. And, you know, some of that has to do with Donald Trump himself. And I'm, I guess what I'm wondering, especially for the people in our audience who are supporting a candidate like you, who is not Donald Trump, one of the frustrations I think I hear from them is like, are we really talking loud enough? Like, are we using our big boy voices to clarify to the electorate the real peril that we might face? I mean, I look at like you can look at all the, the indictments against Donald Trump and stuff and quibble here and there and talk about the you know two systems of justice. And I think there's a lot of that's a fair argument for a lot of things. But I look Great. at. I look at like the Mar-a-Lago docs case and I've read that indictment a number of times and and the superseding indictment that came after it and all of the articles that have come out after that. And I'm very concerned about his actual legal peril in that case. And that case is in May. And if you remember in 2016, uh, Ted Cruz dropped out of uh, the primary after the Indiana primary in May. Yes. So, so is our timeline's not great? What I'm saying is, does our electorate, does the does the Republican primary voters you talked about there on the trail realize the potential for that peril? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Mm -hmm. I mean, just just bluntly, judging by the polls. Well, just I mean, I I think what you just walked through was a person who took the time to take a deep dive in what is in an indictment. Yeah what followed the initial indictment versus what has been the circus of this Department of Justice hunting Republicans while defending Democrats. So that deep dive is something that the average person I don't think has has done. And 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 look, I can't blame them because they had to sit through three years of Russiagate Stuff right. that wasn't true. Exactly. All of these articles, which were not true. Yes. And so, you know, they they've they've had all of all, all of the indictments that are coming now are all colored by that experience. So well, I get it. Yeah. Especially when you start with D.A. Brack. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, right. Good Lord, have mercy. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I you talk about someone who says I'm joining the Trump team almost. And I'm going mean, to literally yeah. <laughs> his objective, in my opinion, was to make sure that. Donald Trump is the nominee. I mean, yeah, it seems like it. it, it I don't know what you'd change if it wasn't uh, your exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the, a couple of these indictments. I mean, former president said himself, "If I just get one more, yeah, yeah, I'm sure the nomination yeah. because he understands what they hope to accomplish, but they don't seem to understand that all of this, save one, maybe another one." Is is fodder? It's 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 political theater that is actually bad for the country, right? Uh, bad for candidates like me, mm-hmm. and, and frankly, just yeah. How are you supposed to compete to with that and share yeah, voice? Yeah, I mean, my goodness gracious. But in the end, I I just really don't think that people fully appreciate the deep dive in any of these specific cases. But more importantly, I would say that it is hard to get over this Department of Justice, right? Mm-hmm. Hunting not only the former president. Parents that show up at a school board meeting yeah. called domestic terrorists or mm-hmm. or a pro-life guy at his house and you get a SWAT team coming. But I mean, how do you get voters to care about the truth and sort of 
filter out the noise in all of this. Yeah, I think it's a kind Because, like, we can't do it. Like, yeah. I've said it a lot on this show, yes. and I'm going blue in the face. Yes. And, like, you're running for president. So. Yes. <laughs> I, I got to say, that every time I have an opportunity to talk about the contrast between who I am and, and, and with, when I had disagreements with the former president, mm -hmm. we talk about those things. And when I t had a chance this past week to talk about the Netanyahu comment, we talk about the things mm -hmm. that matter. But we can't make something into something that it's not and be successful. And we certainly cannot maintain a focus on trying to transform this country into a place where we recognize we are not a nation in decline, but we are in the middle of a Biden retreat without having a chance to tell the story why we are in a retreat and not in a decline. And frankly, uh, we, we point our fingers where we think they blame. And I, I've said this several times that you look at the, <clears throat> the victimhood culture that is spreading throughout our country, a lot of us on the left, but some of us on the right. Yeah. Powerful yeah. forces on the right sound like the ones on the left. Yeah, it's a new, a new phenomenon yeah. for sure. All right, yeah. I got one more question, and then it Smash is going to ask well, me about I, the animals. I do have one quick one quick follow yes, up on this okay. because if you if you look at how Democrats have acted, they it's almost like they want to run against Donald Trump. They do, and if you mentioned Bragg. It seems like that's that's they're trying to push him up because they think that they can beat him. And I'm just wondering if you agree with that that philosophy. Do you think that that President Trump can beat Joe Biden, or do you think that Democrats are right that they're going to win that matchup? Listen. Every single thing that I hate about the last two years as a result of Joe Biden beating the former president. Mm -hmm. uh, I think without question that whether it's Bidenomics, whether it's the challenges of foreign policy, whether it's the lack of focus in our military, whether it's ESG or DEI, whether it's the challenges that we're seeing uh, today in these big blue cities with crime everywhere, all that is because President Biden won, mm -hmm. and I do not believe that the former president has a path forward to do better in Georgia than he did last time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how uh, he, he wins in Nevada. I, I don't know how, how it happens in Pennsylvania. And frankly, I, I, I think a part of what I'm selling out here trying to market is that there is an alternative to have the same tax policy that we had before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act with the help of Pat Toomey and mm -hmm. Rob Portman, the three of us sat down and worked for a year. I remember uh, I remember you having to go on like CNBC and they would try to give you all these loaded questions and then you'd have to calmly work yeah. work them through how the tax policy works. I, 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 I watched those. Yeah. I mean, you were very good at it and and it was some very unfair questions, which Thank I just you. loved. I, and, and, I, and I love tax policy. Yeah. I, well, because they, they, they don't say they don't say. Um, all right, so how are you going to cut everybody's taxes? No, they say this is going to be a handout to the rich and it's not going to yeah. help people. And then you go through the personal story of your mom and Absolutely. everything and how you just let me go through the tables and like how this would actually cut taxes well, for working people. And, and not to get off the subject, but now that he's got me on my first <laughs> yeah. subject. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Mellon tax cuts in the 1930s. Mm prove that cutting taxes will increase your revenues. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how they can't, can't figure that John out. John F. Kennedy. time and time yeah. again. Bush. Mm -hmm. Our tax cuts. They're like, but the CDO says. Yeah. Well, CDO. Oh, the CDO yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah. They forgot <laughs> dynamic that. scoring. They're still in a static model, right? 3% more <laughs> revenue. But if you overspend, you can't cut them enough to raise enough revenue if you keep spending more money than you're bringing in. Yeah. But, yes, I, I do think we have to tell the story mm -hmm. of, yes, I believe I could win 
and I believe I could have a red wave that leads to a governing mandate. Mm-hmm. I don't believe Donald Trump can win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. I want to give you an opportunity to answer this because I know everybody's been sort of talking around it and framing it the way they want. Uh, you had some tough headlines this week because of the super PAC decision, yes. which you don't make in your campaign doesn't make these decisions. It's offshore. Uh, but they announced basically that they were cutting their fall ad buys. You read into it and read the memo. It looked like it was a strategic decision to not do now. And basically they said that now was not the time to have a, a, a an alternate to Trump discussion there will be that time yeah can you contextualize any of that i know that's not your decision to make but yeah i, I really can't uh thank god i have someone as strong as cory gardner leading the team over there and i thank god for that but what i can tell you that i have been noticing is that a we still have more money on hand in our and the hard dollars that we control mm-hmm. I have, we have more money on hand than any other candidate so we're really thankful for that but what i'm also re- realizing is that Paid media can only take you so far. And right now, the headlines, no matter how much money we're spending, it's all about Israel. Yeah. And it should be. And it's about the House. And probably it should be. Our ability to break through right now when we're spending a, a, a lot of money, why not hold that re, those resources until, until the end? So in late mid-December through January 15th, that we are locked and ready to go through the first caucus. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing I will tell you is as I look at the advertising spend, even on my campaign, the one thing I I say to myself, we're spending a lot of money right now, and we're going to need that money come December and and January. You don't want to run out of cash. No, no, we've got plenty of money left. We've got over $10 million still, which is great news. But if we're going to have the last word, we're going to have to spend millions between December 15th and January 15th. I I don't want to waste money when I cannot control the headlines. Yeah, I understand. I just wanted to give give you an opportunity to address that because there's a lot of people that were writing headlines about the instant demise of Tim Scott. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes. I've seen them before. When I ran against Strom Thurmond, they said, you just can't win. I'm like... Listen. I understand why you're writing the headline. <laughs> the media, media, media loves to to write process stories about Republican campaigns. I've oh, they love that. it. They <laughs> love it. All right, so this is the last one. Yes, sir. And this one, you know, is sort of important. Yes, yeah, so we've had you before. You've answered our traditional three questions, but there's one more that sort of cropped up because we here at the Ruthless Variety Program have noticed that the animal kingdom is rising up with an aggression against mankind that we just don't remember seeing. Where was a dog that shot its owner? There's a hog that killed its butcher. There are animals attacking people all over the world, and so we're looking for people who can stand up to the animal kingdom. So our question to you is, what is the biggest animal that you could take mano a mano, just with your bare hands? Man, you know, there's. I think of the, I think of three that come off the top of my mind very quickly. The the bear would have no chance of surviving against me, so that's, <laughs> that's kind of easy. I, I think I, I think about the lion, the king of the jungle. Not the king of my hood. So <laughs> the lion goes down very quickly. I'm not David in the Bible, but I get both points. It's a political animal. Uh, I, I, I can take the political animal one-on-one, mano-e-mano, look him in the eye. 
eat their lunch, spit their bones out, and go to McDonald's and have a Big Mac. Right. <laughs> Lion, a bear, and the political animal, you've got tra- all three. Yeah. We're going to write you down for that. There you go. There you go. Uh, Senator Scott, really appreciate your Absolutely. time. Glad we could finally do this. Thank you so much. Let's do this again. You got it. We'd love to. All right, before the year's out. All right. Yeah. Let's do it again. You yeah. got it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. Fellas, I mean, th- that was a phenomenal interview. I think it might have been one of the best that we've done. We we asked all the tough questions. Yeah, and I, I just I gotta th- I gotta tell you, I don't think there's anybody sitting at this table. I don't think there's anybody listening to this show right now who would disagree with the idea that if that guy ran against Joe Biden, he'd wipe the floor with him. Oh, no question, no question. I I think, look. For all the questions that we asked him, there's an awful lot of a gap between the intensity of an electorate and where, what he's selling. And I think that's reflected in the poll numbers over the last few months. What I thought he did a particularly good job of is explaining why it is that he's running the campaign that he is. One, it's authentic. But two, it, there's some strategy behind it. It's not it's not just simply because like he doesn't want to engage and he's like fearful of yeah. the conflict. It's like there's some strategy well, behind he's, it. he's I mean he said that the opposite strategy has not worked as as proven yeah. as proven out here in this primary in that attacking Donald Trump on everything has only made Donald Trump's poll numbers go up and those candidates poll numbers go down. Mm. Yeah. And based on the polls whether you believe them or not, I can't argue with with Tim Scott on that fact i you know i just i don't know if if his strategy is going to bear more fruit i guess yeah. we'll we'll find out but what i what i did appreciate um about that interview is he was extremely specific about how he views success and viability as a candidate mm-hmm. and I that think, was the most important part yeah, of it yeah and if 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 you are listening to this and 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 don't support donald trump and you're sort of you know, frustrated by a very large field of candidates and you're trying to figure out who's the person, you know, who can who can best, um, you know, help guide this debate in the primary. I think Tim, Tim Scott has laid out very clearly, like what viability looks like in a in a Republican primary after Iowa. And I don't think anybody's else in the media has gotten these answers from him. What well, I think I think no no question they yeah. have not. And but this, I, is, this broke so much news. It broke so much news, but I think I think the idea and this is this is really the groundbreaking moment for me. The idea that if you're not first or second in the first 3 states that you ought to be out of there. That's new. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get somebody like Tim Scott who I think is trying to work to grow this party mm. and trying to get to a point, and he said explicitly that he thought it was important that the Republican Party have a choice here. And in order to have a choice, you're gonna have to have, before you get to Super Tuesday, a lot of consolidation. And look, it sounds to me like the guy's willing to lead the charge. Well, he's that. also sort of calling his shot because if you look at the polls, like. Tim Scott is not there right now. Yeah. And so what he is saying is that if he isn't there, 
then he won't. Which is so much you know different than everybody. Everybody else is like, well, and if, 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 yeah. I, if I land exactly where I am, then I'm good yeah. for, in perpetuity. And, and that's not what he's saying. And Tim's kind of like just like taking the bat and pointing to the outfield and yeah. being like, if I'm I get a, there, if I hit it, then I'm there. If I'm not, then this thing's over. We go to a new batter. Right. Yeah. No, I think that was, uh, look, there's a lot of news there. A lot of news there. Uh, thank you, fellas, for doing it. Another great episode. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself. Again, I want to remind the minions, if you have not yet subscribed to the YouTube, there's going to be something special on the way. I'm not going to spoil it now. So just go out to the YouTube, subscribe. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.